The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning's sermon text is found in Luke chapter 9. We'll be reading from verses 1 to 17. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor money, excuse me, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them sit, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. The narrative of our text tells how Jesus prepared and sent out the twelve disciples on their first gospel mission. And then it records the Return of the twelve and the, the debrief that they had on the mission. After receiving the instructions of Jesus, verse 6 says that they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So there they are out on the mission. And the impact of the mission can be inferred in two things. First is that their ministry was so effective that they rattled Herod, the ruling tetrarch of Galilee. He heard all about it, and he wondered if, who is this Jesus? Is he one of the prophets raised from the dead, or is it the ghost of John the Baptist coming back? So it rattles Herod, but also the, the impact of their mission can be seen in the fact that when they return, let me get the picture. Twelve disciples return. Now they're 
apostles and uh, 5,000 men with their wives and children are following them all the way back to Jesus. <laughs> wow. So there's the glimpse of the mission itself. What I want to spend my time on is on the preparation and on the debrief, on the post-mission events and conversation. My aim, let me say my aim before I pray. My aim this morning is that you would climb into this commission of Jesus. He gives the disciples his authority, his mission, and his provision. And he sends them out. I, I, I want us to be there. It's one week before Global Focus. I know it sounds like a Global Focus sermon, but I, w- I want it to, to, us to be on that gospel-proclaiming, disciple-making mission all the time in utter dependence on the Lord's provision. So if I put my finger on one of those three, I would say I want you to depend upon Jesus to equip you with all you need to glorify him, especially when you think you lack what you need to obey and glorify him. In other words, may you never be paralyzed by lack of resources to, do, to, to obey Jesus or do the good work that he's calling you to do. This text has the power to change your life for the glory of God if you believe Jesus is who he is and he has given you what he has given the disciples here, his authority and his mission and his enablement, his, his provision. So here, I'll say it another way. When Jesus calls you to serve one another in need of gospel teaching or encouragement or love or practical help or when Jesus calls you to serve, to go, serve your neighbors in need of the gospel or love or practical help, or when Jesus calls you to go to the nations for the glory of Christ. I'll give you another example from the counseling office. When Jesus calls you to obey him in the premarital situation that I found myself in, couple came to me and they said, um, we, want you to, we want to be married in about six months. We want you to do the, the wedding, officiate. And as I talked to them more, they're living together. And I said, okay, here's the deal. Um, I'll do your wedding if you obey Jesus and uh, live apart, refrain from sexual intimacy until the wedding. And they said to me, um, we can't afford to do that. It's too expensive. We don't have enough money to, to obey Jesus. And you know what I said? I said, well, if you believe me that this is the will of Jesus, when you leave, pray about this. And pray that God will make a way. Pray that God will prepare a way. Provide what you need to 
Obey him. They came back a week later and they said, um, I can't remember if it was the, the man or the woman. I found free housing for the next six months and we're going to do it. Rather than checking your wallet to see if you have enough money to follow Jesus, your calendar to see if you have enough time, or your house to see if you have enough space, or your heart to see if you have enough love to do what Jesus is calling you to do, this text ought to move you and me by faith to step into the calling of Jesus, obey him, step into the calling of the gospel with nothing, (laughs) trusting that our God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus for the glory of his name. Father in heaven, help us now to climb in to this text with the 12 disciples. We are disciples. Help us to climb in and uh, embrace your preparation for your mission (coughs) and your provision for the glory of your name in our lives, in our world, in our church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, clearly, from the first day Jesus chose these 12, he was preparing them for this mission and the subsequent missions of their lives. He lived closely with them. He taught them his word, the scriptures. He revealed himself to them as the son of God, the Christ, the son of the living God. And and, uh, they knew him. In the words of Matthew 4, 43, Jesus had been doing this. What's Jesus been doing in his earthly ministry? Matthew 4.43 says that Jesus had been going throughout all Galilee, teaching in there in the Jewish synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And on the one hand, I wonder if the disciples realized that Jesus' intent was to give them that very same mission to do that very same thing. But he had told them so when he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So in this text, he he called, here it is, verse 1, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. An echo of what Jesus has been doing. So what I want you to see in this first part is in the preparation now, these three things. Jesus gave the 12 his power and authority. See it right there in verse 1. Power. I, I, love that. I love the Greek word for power. Dunamis. Doesn't that sound great? Dunamis. Dynamite. Power. Power is ability, strength <clears throat> to accomplish a task. Authority is the right and prerogative to use the power. Put them together and you get... You get Christ's sovereignty. So Jesus, it says he gave them power and authority over 
all demons and to cure diseases and to go out and proclaim the kingdom. And they've seen, they, they, I mean, they know what this is. They've seen Jesus. We've seen it as we've come through Luke. By the divine power of, and authority of Jesus, he dispatched unclean spirits. I won't give you all the text. In chapter 4 and, number, and chapter 8, he healed all sorts of diseases. And by his divine power and authority, he spoke a word and healed the terminal illness of the servant of the centurion. And by his power and authority, he healed the woman of chronic bleeding and the daughter of Jairus he raised from the dead. And by his divine power and authority, he astonished those who heard his teaching. And by his divine power and authority, he forgave sins. And by his divine power and authority, we know from John 10, 18, he will lay down his life. And by his divine power and authority, he will take it up again. I, I just don't know what they're thinking. Jesus is giving them the... They, they are now authorized by Jesus to go out and represent him in the world. It's interesting that, that Luke changes the word, if you noticed it. They're the 12 in verse 1 when they go out after they're authorized by Jesus. They return in verse 9. They're the apostles. <laughs> you, you know the word apostle means sent ones. Authorized ambassadors of the king, of King Jesus. They are, they are like ambassadors. They, where they... Where they go, they represent the authority and the, and the power of Jesus, the king. And, and what they say represents the, the word of the king. And when they're rejected, it's not merely the apostles that are rejected. It's the word of the king. It's the king himself that's rejected. So, so this, this authorization is what makes them apostles, these official representatives of Jesus to declare his word and his person to the world. And oh, how much we owe to the apostles and their teaching and their witness. The whole New Testament. Jesus says of them, Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Rejecting the apostles and the word of the gospel they bring is the rejection of Jesus and the gospel that he is. And the rejection of Jesus is the rejection of God. Jesus even advises them in verse 5, Whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Shake off the dust. It's, it's like we would say, I, I wash my hands of this. And yet it has this sense of, we've brought the gospel to you, we've done our part, and now you will answer to God for this. And they are to leave that town. So that's, a, that's a, the first thing that Jesus does. He gives them his power 
and authority. Second thing Jesus does, he gives them his mission. I I, I highlighted this in the intro. Verse 2, the mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Just what Jesus was doing. And you read that and you think, was that, is that two tasks or is that one? Either proclaim the gospel, they are to heal, two different things, or one. It's one. It's one mission. It's one, it's one thing. The, the second serves the first. In other words, the, the healing shows the reality of the kingdom and supports the proclamation of the kingdom. I mean, Jesus... One of the places to see this in the Bible is, is uh, what Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty. He says, look, it's not by the power of Satan that I'm casting out demons, but rather, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Get it? The miracles serve the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. The miracles point to, yep, the kingdom is here. The king has come. That's the purpose and use of the, of the miracles in the gospel. The proclamation is, is good news. The kingdom of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's good. It's good news because he's come to bring salvation and reconciliation with God, to bring forgiveness and release from God's wrath and punishment, freedom from the power of sin and and death, amnesty for all who will receive Jesus the King in faith. So Jesus said, he says all this in, in Luke 4 when he read from the scroll of Isaiah. This, he's come to bring about the year of the Lord's favor. This is good news. The kingdom, have come, the kingdom has come. The second thing I want to say about the kingdom is, is that it's, it's not a territory. It's a people. It's, it's not the establishment of a geographic place. This coming of the kingdom. Rather, it penetrates all the territories of the peoples and nations of the earth. It knows no national or territorial boundaries. That Jesus didn't start a political or military movement confused and frustrated the political zealots of his day who one day, quote, were about to come and take him by force and make him king, John six fifteen. And Jesus would have none of that. And it also confused and frustrated the Pharisees who, who assumed that the, the kingdom of God, when it comes and, and arrives, it would look like a, a kingdom, like a nation on earth. It would look like all the other kingdoms on earth. And Jesus rebuked them, and here's what he said. It's very important. It's in Luke 17, 20. We'll get to it in about two years. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. The kingdom of God is in us, in people 
who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. That's where the kingdom is. The the kingdom is, is in the citizens of the kingdom. It's not in a particular geographic place. But it's wherever, by the sovereign grace of God, people embrace and treasure and worship the Lord Jesus for who he is. So this means, does it not, that some citizens of heaven reside in the nation of Israel by faith in Christ and on the Gaza Strip by faith in Christ and in Russia by faith in Christ and in Ukraine by faith in Christ and all over America by faith in Christ among Republicans by faith in Christ and Democrats by faith in Christ. (laughs) The kingdom of God is within you and in the citizens of the kingdom our primary, foremost, ultimate allegiance is not to any of those other things but to our king and to our king alone. Third thing I want to say about the kingdom. This is very important. It's already and it's not yet. And we've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated with the coming of Christ. That's why we sing, joy to the world, the Lord is come. We we celebrate the coming of the Lord. The the kingdom has been inaugurated. And with the arrival of Christ, who was born and suffered and rose from the dead and reigns now forever, the kingdom has come. It's been initiated. And God is alive and presiding in the hearts of his people. I was born of God, and Christ is reigning in our hearts, and it's real. And we see in the New Testament and in our lives these breakthroughs of the kingdom. This is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, it cannot be bombed, it cannot be taken away from us. This ultimate citizenship that's in heaven, the power of sin to condemn us is broken and therefore the power of death has been broken and we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and we celebrate the already of the kingdom, right? And yet, on the other hand, the kingdom is not yet. The, The kingdom is yet to be consummated in its fullness, which it will be when Jesus returns in all his glory and all the angels with him. And he comes to bring salvation and grace to his people and judgment to those who are not his people, who have not received his offer of forgiveness and grace and are still in their sins. This is why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is why we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly because we live in between this already and the not yet. One of the places I felt the, I mean, we feel the pinch of this all the time. But I'll give you one illustration 
It's just in thinking about healing, as it was stressed in our passage, as we've seen it in the, in the Gospel of Luke, I was 27 years old, coming down 35W in a borrowed vehicle to pray for my sister who had cancer. The year is 1987. It's January. And I remember in my mind thinking, Lord, you have healed my sister Michelle over and over again for these last last five years, and you're going to do it again. I know you're going to do it again. So I arrive at this emergency prayer meeting in her apartment right by Powderhorn Park, and we pray for two or three hours for her healing, and we leave, and three months later, on March 9th, she dies. Already? Not yet? Here's what I want you to take away. When your frustrations and even doubts fill in because the not yet is not yet, (laughs) turn those frustrations and doubts into hope. That's That's why we live in between. We live in hope. I'll give you a verse. It was just like a shaft of light to me. John 11. Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live. That's where we live. Isn't it? In the gap. So the New Testament uses words like, for the death of believers, they're sleeping. Though he die, yet shall he live. And then Jesus adds, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So turn whatever frustrations, whatever doubts, whatever unbelief comes in, because we live in between the already and the not yet, turn it to hope. Hope that Jesus is going to return and he's going to right all the wrongs and he's going to give us glorified bodies. He's going to raise all uh, his people from the dead. He's going to Fix everything, and we're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever and ever. So the kingdom is already and not yet. Third thing Jesus gave them before sending them out was his, <laughs> this, is, this is a funny title to put on this, his provision. I call it his provision. Maybe you can laugh with me or giggle with me in your hearts as I read this one. Verse 3. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there depart. So what's Jesus' provision? Take nothing with you. That's his provision. 
Don't take anything. No reservations, no places to stay ahead of time. Just stay wherever somebody opens the door for you. Carry no backpacks, you know, don't take two tunics, no money bags. Go out with no money. Just go in dependence on me. And yet, some people read this and say, well, he's just sending them out to trust the goodwill of the people. You know, there was this Jewish obligation to show hospitality. No. No, 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 no. Although God's provision may and often comes through people, their dependence is to be on God. In fact, they will find themselves thrown out of town. Everybody won't open the door for them. The night before Jesus was crucified, he reminded the disciples of this. Of this instruction right here. This is Luke twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Night before Jesus is crucified, he's preparing them for the life on mission. When he's gone, when he's risen, he said, when I sent you out with no money bag or no knapsack or sandals, did you guys lack anything? <laughs> and they said, nothing. <laughs> we didn't lack a thing. So they went out with nothing but faith and obedience to Christ. And all the way, they lacked nothing. He provided for all of their needs. <sighs> That's the third thing Jesus equipped them with, and I think that's underscored in the postlude. So now I'm, I'm switching from preparation. They've gone out. They've had this, this ministry scattering all out, and now, as we'll see, as they come back in for the debrief, this big crowd is following them. So now mission postlude. When the 12 apostles returned from their mission, verse 10 says, they reported to Jesus all they had done. And as they're debriefing with Jesus, the crowds are, are coming and coming and coming. And Mark's gospel says, actually, this account is interesting because it's mentioned in all, the, all four gospels. So I can draw from the, the wealth of the gospels here. Now, Mark's account says that the disciples and Jesus were so busy, quote, they had no leisure even to eat, Mark 6, 31. So Jesus, seeing the apostles are exhausted and they're hungry, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, Mark 6, 31a. And then Jesus, our text says in verse 10, took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And Mark 6 says they boarded a boat to get away from the crowds and be by themselves and uh, uh, one of the references I saw said, presuming they're coming from Nazareth and going to Bethsaida, it's like a four, four, four or five-mile boat trip. And it's an eight-mile shoreline run. And the text in Mark says, the crowd ran and beat the boat. <laughs> that's, that's quite a little marathon race. I mean, not a marathon, but... Five, that, that's a lot of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> if, I mean, you know this feeling. You know, you pour yourself out in ministry and you need some rest and it doesn't come. <laughs> 
So there will be no quiet in this restful place. The crowds are there. And, and look at Jesus in verse 11. He, Jesus, welcomed them. It's the crowd. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So he's just back on mission. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God by miraculous signs. So evening, <laughs> so you get the picture. So they, they, they're all together in this one place outside of Bethsaida. Uh, I can't remember if it's Matthew or Mark. It says it's a grassy place. It's a desolate place. Nobody's had anything to eat all day. Not Jesus, not to the disciples, not the crowds of adults and, and their children, I'm assuming, who are getting hungry right now. Knowing the day is coming to, the, to an end, the disciples say to Jesus, verse 12, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. <laughs> You're like, Jesus... Help these people, send them away. The, the words that you cannot forget in this text and you ought to highlight and circle is verse 13, where Jesus says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> I hope you feel the empty that we don't have the ability. <laughs> Philip did the math. I mean, every team needs a mathematician. <laughs> Philip did the math and estimated, look, 200 days worth of wages worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. John 6, 7. And then Andrew, who seems to have a knack for bringing people to Jesus, Andrew looks around the crowd, he finds this, this boy John 6, 9. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves, like biscuits. Don't think, you know, don't think Panera loaves. Biscuits. He has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Okay, five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus' power and authority and sufficiency. Perfect. Jesus had the people sit. He looked to heaven and prayed, gave thanks. And here Jesus de demonstrates again his power, authority. His proclaiming of the gospel is underscored by his, his miracle here. Verse 16, and then he broke the loaves and gave them to the, to the disciples to set before the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. You get the picture. Here's how I imagine it. So the disciples are the ushers, right? The waiters. <laughs> Each has a basket. They bring it all back. They're standing there with their full baskets around Jesus. And I think they're glancing at the basket of food. Glancing at each other. Looking at Jesus. Who is this? This is the Christ of God. The Son of the living God. We're going to pick it up there 
next week. But let me say a couple of things as I close. Two illustrations of many, many, many. I mean, Jeff just had an illustration a minute ago of Christ's provision. I mean, I I, want to live like this. I want to live like this. I'll give you a personal illustration from my life and a present corporate illustration, then I'll pray and ask and hope and pray that God will multiply these occasions where he's working through us like he did here in this text through the disciples. Two illustrations. One is just our story of personal adoption. It was a a 10-year process for me to catch up with my wife on the calling to adopt a child. And uh, reliance on our bank bank statements would have said in black and white what Philip said. (laughs) You cannot afford to adopt a child. Who are you kidding? It's expensive. It will put your whole family in financial straits. Paying for adoption fees by using your visa is irresponsible. And all those are good things to think about and pray about. They just didn't prove to be determinative. The sense of calling remained to become parents of a baby created in the image of God for the glory of God for a long-term life of discipleship. So on mission. So we stepped forward in faith. <laughs> we really had no money to do this. Nothing. To make a long story short, all of our adoption expenses were covered by God. All of them. Through the spontaneous generosity of brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, after all the adoption fees were paid and we're preparing to go pick up our daughter from Detroit, there was an excess of $1,000. And we thought, well, oh, okay, well, perhaps we'll use this excess to travel to Detroit to pick her up. And I checked the airfares, and the airfares were about $1,000 for one ticket. And we said, praise God, God did it. He, look at that. And yet we had this discomfort in our gut. (laughs) Like, so I suppose Kathy would be the one to go, and me and the boys will stay here. Boy, I don't even think we prayed that God would enable all of us to go get on the plane and pick her up as a family. But God did that. The airfares dropped to $200. And do the math. Three boys, husband and wife, it came up to $1,012 to fly Sun Country (laughs) and come back with our daughter. Be careful of saying, Lord, we don't have it. We can't, we aren't able. You've not provided. You've not provided enough for us to obey you and follow you and proclaim the gospel and just not true. Here's our corporate one presently, and I'll be really brief on this because we'll hear more of an update on this tonight. 
I mean, you know the story, I think. A year ago in the spring, this Bethesda Missionary Baptist Church property came for sale, and I was totally Philip. <laughs> I promise you. We, we cannot think about buying a $2 million property, even though it's on this block, even though it would be strategic for the long-term uh, ministry and mission in Bethlehem. I don't, I, we can't even think. We're too busy. We're, we, are we going to make... We, we become a solo church again in January of 2023. How's that going to go? Too many questions. And a year went by, and... Uh, a Philip or two, <laughs> did I say that right? No, an Andrew or two came forward and said, hey, uh, what, what about this? And uh, what about that? And before we knew it, half of the money, I mean, we're on our, well on our way to a third of the money being in. We mentioned it to our people. We've had no fundraiser. Do you know that? We're over half. These people are picking up baskets and bringing them to Jesus, they fill them up. And that Bethesda thing is one of these things. God has enabled us to do what we did not have capacity to do. We'll hear more about that tonight at the quarterly strategy meeting. But uh, thank you all for your engagement as uh, I don't know what, what I call you, call you fellow disciples, picking up baskets, doing what Jesus wants us to do, and showing that his provision is sufficient for us to do all that he's calling us to do and to be for the glory of his name. For the glory of his name. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Thanks for this word. Thanks for all that you're doing, that you're doing these kinds of things in our lives over and over again, and I just ask that you would do so more and more. Fill us with faith. Fill us with a sense of your authority and power. Fill us with a grip on your mission to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom near and far, and and fill us with trust that you will equip us with everything to do your will. We pray for the glory of Christ and for our joy and for the joy of this whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.